Hello and welcome to Inside Briefing Extra, the podcast from the Institute for Government. I'm Nick Davies, Programme Director at the IFG, stepping briefly into the presenter's chair to bring you this bonus episode to discuss the future of the NHS. Because for the first time in over a decade, we've got a new white paper on health service reform. 2010 model was titled Equity and Excellence, Liberating the NHS. The latest white paper, which was set out by the Health Secretary Matt Hancock in the Commons on Thursday, is a bit more of a mouthful. It's called Integration and Innovation, Working Together to Improve Health and Social Care for All. So what will that mean in practice? What opportunities and risks do the reforms present? And is the middle of a pandemic the best time to be reorganising the NHS? To answer those questions and a few more besides, I'm joined by a great panel. Nicholas Timmins, IFG Senior Fellow, King's Fund Senior Fellow and Public Policy Editor of the FT from 1996 to 2011. Hello, Nick. Also dialing into our virtual studio is Sally Warren, uh, now Director of Policy at the King's Fund, but previously at the Department for Health, Public Health England, the Cabinet Office and the Care Quality Commission. So someone who knows health policy inside out. Uh, and I'm delighted to be joined by John McTurnan, IFG Senior Fellow and former advisor to Tony Blair. Nicholas, I'm going to come to you first. So a leaked draft appeared last week and you wrote a superb piece for the IFG in response. In summary, you're not impressed by the ministerial power grab? Well, it strikes me the thing that ministers have to explain is why they need new powers of intervention and direction. Uh, What is it that they they have not been able to get the NHS to do? Uh, that would justify such powers. And the white paper contains absolutely nothing that suggests that. Uh, And uh, if you talk to previous health secretaries, most of them accept that it's not a good idea to try and run the NHS by command and control from Whitehall. Uh, So, you know, the central question is, why are these powers needed? So in your view, do you think the UK would have responded better or worse to the pandemic if ministers had more direct control of the NHS? Um, well, it would, it, would, it would have depended on what they did, I suppose. Uh, but I think the, the other thing that, that, that really struck me listening to Matt Hancock in the Commons, who's going on about the need for, the, for NHS England to be accountable, uh, it, it, almost implying that at the, up to now it has not been accountable. Now, the answer to that is slightly technical, which I could go through if you like, but but it is accountable at the moment. Uh, I mean, put, to put it in a nutshell, the, 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 you know, the, the minister set an annual mandate, sort of marching orders for the NHS and tell, to tell them what to do. And that has to be agreed with NHS England. But if NHS England does not agree, Matt Hancock has to go to the House and explain why he is ordering NHS England to do something it doesn't want to do. And that strikes me as tolerably transparent. And you can see what is going on. And NHS England is answerable in that the board is appointed by the by ministers and the board appoints currently Sir Simon Stevens. Uh, but ministers have a say in that appointment. And the NHS England is held to account for fulfilling its mandate each year. So there is an accountability process at the moment. And if ministers want to do something that does not appear to make sense to NHS England, it has to explain why it wants it to do it. Now, that strikes me as accountable and perfectly sensible. But Nick, uh, Nick, Nick, it's also, I think, important to say you could judge the Department of Health on its record uh, over the pandemic and the Department of Health and Social Care have Public Health England reporting to them directly as an agency. They've decided to abolish it uh, and split it into different parts because of its perceived inability to perform. 
Department of Health and Social Care set up a thing they called NHS Test and Trace, but it's run by them, it's run by the department. That hasn't been a great uh, success. The biggest success, uh, two biggest success of the pandemic have been NHS England's ability to actually flex its capacity, uh, despite all the pressures that have been on the health system for the last decade, to flex its capacity to not and not fall over during the pandemic, and to mastermind the rollout of the, vac- of the vaccine. One would actually say, judged by performance, uh, it's the Department of Health and Social Care that needs somebody else taking taking over, intervening in it, rather than NHS England needing ministerial intervention. But I would agree with that entirely. John, and on the on the politics of this as well, I mean, do you think Matt Hancock and future secretaries of state for health will come to a regret having these additional powers and the additional accountability that comes with it? Oh yes, I think ministerially this is ridiculous. Um, if I was a minister, I'd want to be as far away from the day-to-day operations of the National Health Service uh, as possible. Stephen Dorrell said a very wise thing when he was looking back on his uh, time as the uh, as, um, health secretary. He said, he, rem- he you know, growing up politically, he remembered uh, the factory closures of the 70s and the 80s. And every time a factory closed across the country, a minister, a cabinet minister from the government had to stand up and account for it. And he said that actually, we gradually, we've removed government from the business of responsibility for the actual operations of industrial strategy, set the framework, uh, create the conditions. But no minister is regarded as being responsible for for factories moving around the country, closing, expanding, whatever. Now, he said, his ambition would be that for in the, the health secretary not to have to account for every single cancelled operation, every single bedpan rattling uh, in a hospital in Tredegar. that and that, that nationalising uh, control in this way is nationalising the blame. Um, and I think that's what's going to be. This will dog. This will absolutely dog the, um, uh, the ministers now and in the future. And it's also a really strange reversal of decades of broad cooperation since the Clark reforms that essentially, since the Clark reforms, there have been a couple of attempts to get away from shifting the power uh, to to commissioners, to, to GPs initially, then to primary care groups, to, to, to really switch the power and the, and the drive within the health system. Um, Frank Dobson tried to ignore it for, 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 a, for a couple of years, um, and then the Lansley reforms tried to uh, change it. But this is essentially uh, breaking what was a bipartisan agreement on the broad shape of the NHS. And it's one which has actually served us well. Um, and I think it's very dangerous. Uh, it's when bipartisan consensus in, polit- in political developments are broken by governments that you quite often get the biggest failures. You know, universal credit is the obvious one from my point of view. It's also worth noting, I mean, Jeremy Hunt was the longest serving health secretary mm. And is on record as saying that he never felt any lack of powers yeah. of direction. And I was, I, John, I wanted to come to you briefly on the kind of, I suppose, the, the person who currently is uh, more accountable for the NHS than anyone else. And that's Simon Stevens. Um, you were in number 10 uh, shortly after he was in the mid 2000s. And since 2014, he's been the all powerful chief executive of the NHS in, in, in England. What do you think these reforms mean for his future? Um these reforms mean for Simon's future, whatever he wants for his future. Um, Simon has always been able to make his own future for himself. You know, he, he, he did, he did uh, so much of the thinking that underpinned um, health policy for uh, the Labour government. 
um, under Tony Blair and then Gordon Brown. He's done so much of the execution of successful health leadership um, in uh, in the NHS under under successive Tory governments. I, I think the partnership of uh, of, of Stevens and, uh, and and Hunt is underrated, underrecognised. In the period of austerity, when all public services were being cut, there was massive pressure on the health service budget. Um, but between them, they managed to chisel tens of billions of uh, f- extra funding into the health service by doing a double act with uh, with Cameron Osborne, by doing the same act with Theresa May and Hammond, by constantly managing the system to get more more resource. I think Matt Hancock's problem is every uh, health secretary needs a Simon Stevens. What's he going to do if by doing this, he not only takes powers away from Simon, he also loses Simon and he has got to find a health leader to help him because he's going to find out really, really quickly that the politicians, while they can nationalise the, the blame, they really can't drive the system from the centre. Sally, I, I want to come to you next. Um, we're obviously still in the grips of a pandemic. NHS staff are exhausted. There's backlogs to get through, a vaccination programme to tackle. What do you make of the timing of this paper? Is it going to distract from the pandemic response? Uh, yeah, thanks, Nick. I think that the distraction is definitely a risk. Um, if we look at the history of the NHS, it's been uh, littered with reform programmes which have overstated the benefit of organisational reform and massively underestimated the sort of cost and disruption it creates. And that's certainly a risk here. Um, and obviously, we've got a white paper. We don't yet have the legislation and we certainly don't have the approach to implementation. So I think there's an important challenge to government about how it intends to implement this in a way that doesn't um, distract But the one thing I will say is is a number of the proposals, particularly around integrated care and a move to uh, collaboration and partnership, is absolutely going in the direction of travel that the NHS itself wanted. Uh, So a number of the proposals were actually in effect requests from NHS England and improvement to government about how it wanted to change the legislative framework. So in that regard, it's going absolutely with the grain uh, of the changes in ways of working that a number of leaders right across the NHS uh, want to deliver. But there is obviously a risk that we now have people being distracted by, are they about to be moved organisations, etc., when you really want them focusing on uh, vaccination delivery, on thinking through recovery and supporting staff. So I think it's a very legitimate question about, is this the right timing? Um, as you say, sort of improving collaboration, removing some of the requirements for competition included in the 2012 Act, uh, are kind of a key theme from the paper. Do you think this will lead to a a welcome easing of burdensome bureaucracy? Um, It's really difficult to tell, isn't it? I mean, I think there hasn't been a white paper in the NHS that's that's not claimed it's going to reduce bureaucracy. Um, But the reality of delivering that reduction has often been much harder. I mean, I think clearly the intention behind the proposals is much more about partnership, much more about collaboration. But there are some really important sort of unanswered questions about relative power uh, between different organisations. And there's an assumption that people are going to agree uh, and therefore you can make progress. Now, it's much, much less clear about how do you work through if if partners have a different view about priorities, a different view about next steps. So, um, as I say, I I think the intentions are right and the intentions go with what a lot of local NHS and local government leaders have wanted, uh, but really difficult to tell is it going to really free up from a bureaucracy and, and red tape point of view. And do you think it will mean less involvement for the private sector in the NHS going forward? 
Um, the, the move away from kind of the default position that all um, all services will be tendered for uh, will reduce the opportunity. But I think it is important that we just reflect on the kind of long term trend about the private sector involvement. Um, I could go all the way back to 1948 and say GPs are private businesses and they've always been involved with the NHS. But even if we take a shorter term look, actually, since the 2012 Act, um, where it's kind of competition and tendering was introduced, we've not seen a large increase in the proportion of the NHS budget that's been going to private sector organisations, despite the fact that we have seen a lot of tendering. Um, so I think what you'll see is actually um, that kind of the current level of spend will probably stay broadly the same as it is now, uh, as services kind of uh, end up being rolled forward rather than being retendered. So um, I think it's too easy to overstate that the 2012 Act led to uh, kind of the ability to privatise parts of the NHS service. And actually, the data suggests it didn't change uh, a very significant proportion of the budget at all. Nicholas, so integration is the new competition with uh, statutory uh, integrated care systems bringing together the NHS, local government and other partners. As, as Sally said, this, it's something, it's a direction that the NHS has been travelling in anyway. How different do you think the uh, future envisaged by the white paper will be from the current situation? Well, the current situation is, is so to speak, entirely voluntary. ICSs are, are coalitions of the willing or occasionally the not so willing uh, this does give them a statutory basis uh, but at a first glance it does look pretty crowded landscape um, so we're going to have the uh, the NHS ICS body and then there'll be this partnership group formed with local government voluntary sector private others who will sort of set out plans which this body has to pay attention to uh, and the health and well-being boards will still exist and the white paper says explicitly that the current duties of NHS trusts and foundation trusts, i.e. sort of hospitals, community services, will still have their own current duties to balance their books, and the ICS will not have powers to direct them. So you do feel there's a sort of quite a lot of room for vetoes in here. And if you if one was being sort of really cynical, it feels a little bit like heading back to the consensus management of the of the 1970s, when in the, if you couldn't if you couldn't agree, nothing happened. And I do think, as Sally has indicated, it's not clear at all from the white paper what happens when people don't agree about what should happen. Nicholas, to you again, so politicians, those on the front line and service users have long lamented how unjoined up some health and care services are. But is integration as silver bullets? Is that going to solve all the problems in health and care? No, it's not a silver bullet, but it's a, it's a, very, it's a very necessary thing to seek to do. Um, you can clearly improve the quality of people's lives and the quality of the care they receive by integrating services better. There's no, there's no real question about that. Um, some people make the argument that it will save money. I've never really believed it will save money. I don't think there's any evidence it saves money, but it definitely improves the quality of what you can deliver. Uh, so, but as a, as a magic bullet, will it transform everything? No, but it's an important thing to do. And how easy is it to deliver well, it's difficult because we have different accountabilities in local government financially and democratically to those we have in the NHS. Uh, so it's a challenge. Uh, but if you look, at, look at, if you look around the country, there is clear evidence that progress is being made. Probably not as fast as people would like, all over, and probably not everywhere. Certainly not everywhere at the same rate. But over the last few years, it is clear that some services are being better integrated, and there are gains from that. Sally, I want to. Come back to you again. Um, the white paper has social care in the title, 
what about the substance? Uh, yes, the, the substance doesn't really match its its inclusion in the title. Um, so this is very much an NHS white paper, in, in my view. It's the NHS, how it can integrate with itself and work better with some of its external partners. But it absolutely isn't a health and social care uh, reform white paper. So what the white paper has is one or two um, useful kind of technical amendments on social care and indeed a couple of them on assurance of local authority commissioning and um, better data in social care. Uh, Nick uh, and the King's Fund published a report only this week uh, saying they would be useful steps forward. But really, it absolutely dodges the question about what is the vision for social care? How are you going to reform the quality of social care, improve the workforce? How are you going to, uh, you know, the long vexed question of how to pay for social care? Um, and it's very silent and all of that. Um, what we get is the promise that we've had many, many times before that proper proposals will uh, come out. Um, this time it's later this year rather than in due course. Um, but I think we've all got quite uh, sick of hearing that about social care being kind of put on the, the back burner whilst uh, the attention is put on the NHS. Uh, it, it seems a, a lifetime ago now, but the uh, the Conservatives 2019 uh, manifesto uh, promised to build a, a cross-party consensus on social care reform. Uh, how close do you think we are to that consensus? Um, I don't think we're anywhere near it. Um, so uh, we, we had the promise of cross-party consensus. We then had Boris on the first day of being prime minister promised he, he would fix social care and said he had a plan. Uh, and we've been waiting to see if that plan exists ever since. So, no, I, I think we're quite far away from that cross-party consensus. Um, social care has obviously uh, become much more in the public consciousness because of how it's been impacted by COVID. Um, so I think there is a strong will across Parliament and in the public that we do need to tackle uh, this this long vexed question to really mean we're, we're improving the quality of care that, that many people rely on to live the lives they want. Um, but it does feel like this is we're quite far away from it. I think we got Matt Hancock did write a letter sort of right at the start of the pandemic, didn't he, uh, to MPs uh, asking for their views uh, about what they thought the solutions would be. Uh, but that was about 11 months ago. and We've not uh, not heard anything since then about cross-party working. Look, I, I do think that the, the Conservative government have, have, have fussed about this far, far too much. Um, we're in the middle of the pandemic. There was that ridiculous letter um, sent around by Matt Hancock um, on a fishing expedition um, to, to, to MPs and no further work's gone on. In Scotland, meanwhile, within, in six months, Derek Feely has conducted an independent review of adult social care on behalf of the Scottish Government and produced a report and recommendations which is, which is gaining um, cross-party consensus and actually the support of all the sectors involved about a, a practical approach, uh, a philosophically-based, values-driven approach to actually taking the next step of integrating health and social care. Uh, you get the impression that number 10 and Treasury are fighting over big numbers when actually, and what they're really ignoring is at the heart of this, the heart of health, the heart of social care is the individual. It is, you know, it is my mum uh, who is in a nursing home or in hospital. It is your aunt. It is, it is real people with real families who want to make some progress. And the contrast between the vast ambitions uh, of the government, uh, the prime ministers in their speeches to settle a thing for a generation and the reality of the, the practicality of the best of the sector and the pragmatism of the requests that come from uh, from residents, uh, uh, from, from users of services, from 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 their from their families, 
uh, from patients and families is the, the, the contrast, the gulf of the ma massive rhetoric uh, and the pragmatic simple change that could be made uh, has been really, I think, um, highlighted by the ability of the Scottish Government to go, look, we can actually have a new approach. And we can have a, we can look into a national care service in within in six months, and we come up with something which is really grounded, really thoughtful, uh, and basically uh, the UK government could do much worse than do a cut and paste. And we're going to cut and paste and drop that in as a chapter uh, in in the white paper because this is really this white paper is all about what this government is really all about, which is in any given sector they they have a bit windy ambitions, they have no plans. But they do know how to create Henry VIII powers for themselves. Um, on social care, obviously, one of the kind of historic problems has been the uh, tendency of both Labour and the Conservatives to uh, play politics with previous proposals, be it branding them as uh, death tax or uh, dementia tax. And I wondered on uh, on the the, the, the health uh, white paper and the, the bill that it will be it will become, John, whether you uh, suspect it's going to have a, an easy passing uh, through Parliament uh, or whether it's going to face um, some difficulties as, as the 2012 Act did? Oh, look, we know, we, we know that um, the Conservative Prime Ministers have wanted to get rid of the 2012 Act almost since it started. And one of their fears was taking uh, legislation through uh, Parliament because... Um, the devil is in the detail, and the devil will be in committee stage, and the devil will be in committee stage um, at uh, in in the House of Lords, because what is the manifesto commitment which they can stand behind to overrule amendments from the Lords? Um, this is the problem about not knowing what you're going to do. This is the problem about. I mean, I, I'm probably going to sound old-fashioned now. This is the problem with not having green papers before white papers. Why don't we have a discussion about this? If we want to settle this for a generation, it needs to be bipartisan because at some point in the next 50 years, there'll be another government of a different sort. Uh, they, that, this is, they, of course, there'll be politics played. The, the question here is not really about the politics in the Commons, and you would not expect uh, a good opposition uh, to, 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 to not exploit the fact that there is incoherence at the heart of these proposals. There's a land grab, but for what purpose? Uh, there's... Uh, Big ambitions, but no detail. You, you you would have to be a poor opposition not to want to give Matt Hancock a kick on the way through. But the big opportunity, I think, is to start to define to start to define a future that you want within which we can all agree to walk towards. And that is the the danger of you mentioned Simon Stevens before. The strength of Simon's leadership within the service was that he could paint a picture of the future into which large parts of it were willing to walk uh, voluntarily. They were willing to cooperate voluntarily. And the, tr the truth, the, the, the balancing truth about command and control is, first, command and control doesn't work. And secondly, that's actually because everybody who works in the health service is an adult. And adults can't be shouted at. Adults have to want to do what's right, which means the debate that needs to be around this legislation is about what kind of health and social care system do we want for the future and how do all of the ambitions of ourselves as individuals as well as the government integrate into that and how can we, you know, take those steps towards it. And, and that, for me, um, the challenge for, for Labour is not to avoid uh, the partisan party politics. I mean, you've got to have some fun in life in the opposition. But the, but the challenge is also to start to articulate, well, 
we think actually the place to go is here and to be cooperating with um, NHS providers, to be cooperating with the union, to be cooperating uh, with patients' organisations, to be starting to talk about where people want to go and then try to, to marry those things, take the journeys and turn this into some kind of staging post where we know we have to be. And, and then when you get to the financing questions, Treasury can always tr can always trump number ten, except when number ten knows why it's doing what it's doing. We'll get no resolution the funding issue in social care from this white paper because Matt Hancock doesn't know what he wants to, the Prime Minister to go into battle uh, for him on. What is the financing settlement? Well, we don't know because we don't know what the social care settlement is, and that that's that's the hole at the centre of this. Thank you. I think that is a, an excellent point to bring this conversation to a close. Uh, my thanks to John McTernan, Nicholas Timmons and Sally Warren. Uh, great of all of you to join me today. If you enjoy this podcast, uh, then do check out our sister podcast channel, IFG Live. We've got brand new recordings there for you, including interviews with Amber Rudd, the former Climate Change Secretary and Business Secretary Kwasi Kwarteng from our terrific Net Zero conference. And of course, the regular episode of Inside Briefing with Bromwell Maddox will be dropping into your feeds anytime now. You can listen to all of our podcasts at iTunes, Acast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And please do leave us a review and check out all our work at www.instituteforgovernment.org.uk. NHS reform is back. That said, it never seems to go away. Mm -hmm.